Well, last year, um, I had an amp- its ample share of joys, babies. Uh, I had uh, sorrows. We've had some challenges. We've had a, um, some neat opportunities. And one of my opportunities was to revisit some Texas traffic laws. Six hours worth, at least. Um, original cause withheld to protect the guilty. Actually, to keep you curious. But anyway, <laughs> listening to voluminous amounts of facts and warnings and history and guilt trips was sure to put about 95% of the audience to sleep. Maybe some of you have been there. I fought that urge, but I did pick up one important fact that I had overlooked. <clears throat> And that is that one of my takeaways was that no driver has the right of way. Okay? Yet all drivers are required by law to yield the right of way. Anybody else perplexed by that? (laughs) Okay? The the laws are full of yield to the right of way. Yield to the right of way. But no driver has the right to their way. I thought, well, that's interesting. Not that it was a big deal. It was just kind of new to me. You know, Yoda might say, hmm, not so it is. (laughs) You just don't have that right. Assuming safely, follow it, it does not. You know, it's, uh, the law speaks to this. Now, taking the right away when others expect you to can obviously uh, be helpful to driving flow. But when you don't take that right of way, that can also cause problems and cause accidents as well. Failing to avoid an accident can still be a chargeable offense. It's just that it won't be because you didn't take your right of way. It's because you weren't driving safely. Okay? Now, likewise, we believers have many freedoms. We have rights. But none of those are to be exercised as a right. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and how we yield those and bind those to the better, higher glory of God. We are to be grounded in what we have as our freedoms and we're to exercise them. However, they are to be surrendered at a moment's notice for another's conscience or a higher purpose. And we'll see today that we are called to this to do all things to the glory of God, which is our theme from verse 31. And this includes being ready and willing to surrender our Christian freedoms. Now, as a short review, <clears throat> in the context of 1 Corinthians is that there's been many divisions in the church. What can you remember of those divisions? What were some of those? This is open for them. Mm-hmm. And what should they have been doing? How should they have regarded their fellow teachers? as fellow servants, right? What else was causing some divisions? Food sacrificed idols. idols. That keeps popping up throughout the whole book, doesn't it? Yes. What else? Sexual immorality. immorality. Lawsuits. Instead of coming to some means of settling it within the church according to Christian principles, right? What else? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. the really, the, some of the issues of the Christian freedoms that were granted in Christ, right? They were still being what? Legalistic, right? I think that's the word, yeah. 
All right. Very good. You are remembering some of these things, so this isn't in vain. <laughs> All right. Um, There's also issues on marriage and celibacy and the rights of apostles to get paid and, and reimbursed and things like that. So our most recent themes in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, which is addressing specifically this idea of Christian freedoms, here are some of the former um, themes that we've had. We saw that in chapter 8 that the conscience is important to Christ because of four reasons. First of all, it's cherished by whom? Jesus. Remember the, the whole millstone around the neck for causing another to stumble in their conscience? Number two, it's an instrument of judgment. Romans chapter 2, that even without the law, there will be judgment. Number three, it's paramount to our witness of the gospel. And number four, there's only one way it can be cleansed, and how is that? Say again? The blood of Christ. Quite an expense, wouldn't you say? So that's to say it's very important. So the conscience, not only of others, but of our own, is vital to God. Now Joshua shared how the gospel is always worth sacrificing uh, is always worth sacrificing the use of our Christian liberties. He spoke to us on that in chapter 9. The example there was Christians or ministers are worthy to be uh, compensated and they'll also be uh, worthy of being sacrificed for the purpose of the gospel. And then he shared the next week how we must never use our Christian liberty to engage in or, so or associate with sinful practices. Uh, for example, there's, Christian liberty is not an excuse to engage in sin. You've been freed from sin, why are you going to be back involved in it? And some examples came up to us from Exodus where people were just simply testing the Lord or grumbling. Also mentioned that Christian liberty is no excuse to associate with those of with the practices of idolatry. We're to associate with idolaters in the sense of sharing the gospel. We might even be around their temple, but to engage in the worship ceremonies within that temple was forbidden, right? Now, it's important to discern in the midst of this that while some of the actions taken by idolaters in their worship also mirror some of the practices that we have in our own Christian faith or in the Old Testament are the same, there's a difference, right? There, we may be praying, we may be bowing, we may be singing. Uh, there may have been in the Old Testament, of course, sacrifice of animals. There was blood covenants and all these different things. There's uh, a, a written word. They have a, a word of their own, you know, they, whether, whatever document that might be. There's many parallels in what worshiping is all about. But what's the difference? It's, it's your heart and what it's targeted on, isn't it? Right? If you are giving worth to an idol, we'd call that sin. But if you are giving worth to God, then we are worshiping God. That's what worship means. It's worth-ship. So the core of the matter is the heart. So there's a lot of similarities on the outward, on the practice, the behaviors, but it's the inside that matters. And so today, the overarching perspective from our theme is that our Christian liberty is to be in submission to all that is to the glory of God. Okay? 
So apparently some people in the church were not yielding these Christian liberties towards the weaker believers or, and were being, or even possibly being legalistic in their stances, as we were pointed out, and their views. And they were being offensive and divisive in what they were doing. So let's open now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we will read our passage for this morning. Starting with verse 23. I'm going to get my water while I'm at it here. Now all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake but if anyone says to you this is meat sacrificed to idols do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake I mean not your own conscience but the other man's For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're challenged by these words and we have to look inside ourselves to see what are we doing to your glory and in what ways. Help us to hear from your word this morning and apply it that we might be sweeter aroma to you in all that we do for your sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, in our passage today, Paul provides five guidelines to how to practice our Christian liberties so that they glorify God. The first guideline is to recognize the limits of our Christian liberty. In verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So let's look at some of these words here for a moment. The word all does not necessarily mean each and every without exception. It's important to understand what we lose in the translation of different languages. Okay, So there's a very common words in the Greek which just mean all or every, right? But they don't necessarily dictate that it means each and every without exception. There are ways to show this. One of the ways is found in Romans 3.10 where it says, there is none righteous, comma, no, not one. That's pretty, pretty blatant without exception. Now, we do know that Christ was not in that context of that verse. He's talking about fallen man. But there is none righteous, no, not one. So there are other times we have to look at it as being all kinds of or not every kind of something. So in 1 Timothy 2.1, Paul's intention there is to have us pray for all men whether kings or slaves, etc. The point here is that we're to be praying for all kinds of 
men, he's not going to sit there and list everybody we should be praying for, right? So we are to serve and pray in such a way as to reach all men that we can. Well, except when God specifically says, do not pray for someone, okay? And that happens actually in Jeremiah 7, chapter 11 and 14, where there is a specific judgment that God has proclaimed through a prophet that says, don't pray for these folks. Otherwise, we as believers can understand that all should pretty much be everything that we can imagine. (laughs) And that's who we should be praying for. And so when Paul is saying here, all things are lawful, he's not saying each and everything in the world is lawful to you because you're a believer. That is to now willy-nilly go off and sin, right? Because we can remember this from chapter 6 that... Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And he actually goes to some length to make sure that we understand that there are some things that are not lawful, right? So we need to understand this phrase here in verse 23. And when he says all things are lawful, he's saying all things that are lawful outside of what you've already been told not to do. Pretty straightforward, right? So 1 Corinthians 6 had that same idea, and we're to live in a way keeping in with the fact that our bodies belong to the Lord. Thus, no idolatry is allowed, uh, no immorality is allowed, those kinds of things. Romans 14 through 15 expounds upon the same, each, but also makes a very key point that each man will give an account of himself to God directly for those areas to which you had a choice. Okay, And so back to our theme of this morning, if we're keeping mindful that everything is to be done to the glory of God, we will held, be held accountable for that. And so we should be seeking out what that intends to mean in our lives. Now, not all things are profitable, are profitable has the idea that it's to bear together for a good purpose. It's just kind of a generic word. But just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's beneficial. We don't have a law for each and every instance of what is non-profitable. We have laws that are for things that are strictly forbidden, and we have this gray area that we are allowed to make our own choices and discernments, and it's up to us to be wise about what is profitable, what is beneficial in that context. It might be allowable for me to go spin my wheels on the pavement out in some remote parking lot, may not be profitable. I'm going to have to buy some new tires, (laughs) right? And it might offend somebody, right? And it might set a bad example too. But I, I digress. It's just an extreme example. But one thing we know for sure is that from 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And from scripture, we, we know what is lawful, We know what is to be discerned as what is profitable, and we can learn from Scripture what things actually edify, which is the next word we want to dive into, which simply means to build up something, to be putting something together for the future, such as building a building, or specifically in spiritual sense, to help help someone grow spiritually. That's to edify someone. So again, just because something is permissible doesn't mean that it's edifying to other people. So there are limits 
to our Christian freedoms. Now, these two phrases, uh, what's lawful and profitable, lawful and edify, form kind of a pattern throughout our passage. It goes from the me to others, the me to others, the me to others. So what is lawful for me may not be profitable for others. What is lawful to me may not be helpful to others. And this is echoed again in verse 24, and then in verses 25 through 29, it's back to the what I might be allowed to do. And in then verse 32 and 33, or 28 through 30, for example, it's about others. And then it comes back again in verse 32 and 33. So there's this back and forth that Paul is playing with, um, but the context narrows in on verse 31, which is do everything to the glory of God. And so that's where we should be focusing what we understand and what we do with our Christian liberties. And MacArthur summarizes it by pointing out that edifying others is more important than self-gratification. That's just a nice, simple way to put that. The message here is that with our Christian liberties, my Christian liberties are not about me, but what Christ has provided. And all he has provided is to remain in subjection to his higher purpose for the purpose of glorifying the Father. Ephesians 4.12 reminds us that the purpose of the Christian ministry is to equip the saints for the work of service. That's why we have our gifts. That's why we have our freedoms. So the first guideline pointed out that Christian liberties don't guarantee that what we will do will be profitable or edifying to others, which prepares us for our second guideline, which is that in practicing our Christian liberties, we need to redirect the use of them towards the greater good of others from verse 24. Let no man, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Now this is pretty common if we've been around the church very long and we understand a little bit about our Christian faith. Uh, But this should cause us to reflect within ourselves and ask, if my liberties are profitable and edifying to me, is my use of them also seeking the better good of my neighbor? Right? We should be asking ourselves that on a regular basis. And we're exhorted to do this in multiple places in Scripture. For example, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul said, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. This might be one of those memorized verses you've had in your past. But with humility of mind and regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And again in Romans 15 too, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. In Romans 13.10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus also gave us the second greatest commandment, the first of which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength, right? The second commandment is like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, All sound familiar, right? And James calls it the royal law. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you are doing well. That really is the focus of our ministry here uh, as Christians on earth. Now, our natural human motivations is to take care of number one first, right? That's, That's normal. And indeed, it's important to do that so that we can serve other people. But is that our chief end? Do we serve ourselves simply to build up ourselves so that we, 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 me, 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 
I, 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 or are we taking care of ourselves so that we can serve the kingdom and serve others? So having recognized the limits of our Christian liberties and redirecting them toward the greater good of others, the next guideline that we are to be practicing is to be confident in the basis of our Christian liberties. From verse 25, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. Now whose conscience are we talking about? Our own. Okay, We're not talking about the others here necessarily we're talking about first of all our own verse 25 seems to be an abrupt change what is not written here is let me give you an example of how a believer should respond when it comes to eating food when that's been offered to idols or may have been paul is setting the base here for reaffirming that the Christ, the believer's freedoms should be followed without reservation you should not be second guessing your freedoms in christ if you know what they are you are to be reaffirmed in what they are, and you are to be living free. Okay? This, this is where, where Paul has taken us. So he's literally saying, eat all things sold within the market walls. Don't ask. This is one place you could say, don't ask. And there's other phrases we put on the end of that for other current cultural means, but don't ask, don't tell is one that's used in a wrong way. But here... We're literally to, to not ask. We are to be free to just buy whatever we want. Now, if you personally have an objection to something, then listen to your own conscience. That's your freedom. If Scripture hasn't specifically said not to, and you have the choice, you can still say no. And you can do so with a clear conscience. In fact, if you disobey it, you're being disobedient. Okay? You need to live according to what your conscience is telling you. So thus he's saying, don't bother your conscience because you bought something in the market, but you have to make the choice for yourself and live by it. Now, rabbis also allowed one to buy from the common market in that day, but they also stipulated that it had to be confirmed that the food was not previously offered to, el to idols. Um, but wait, there's more. And they went, in, went beyond that and they said... They were also insisting that in the store that nothing in the store had been offered to idols, not just the meat you were buying, but nothing. It had to be a kosher store, if you will. And that's how they got into what the practice is today. Thus, they insisted that the Jews should ask first. And that's exactly what Paul is objecting to right here. Don't ask. Live by your conscience wherever it is. And always allow it to be trained according to Scripture. But live according to your conscience. You should not be violating your conscience. And we talked about this in chapter 8. The reason that's so important is because the conscience is the means by which the Holy Spirit is guiding and teaching you as well. And if you defile that, you will not hear clearly. We have to take care of our own conscience. Now there is some... Scholarly debate here on whether Paul is only addressing Jewish converts here in the context or Gentiles also who might have been leaving their former world of idolatry and now it, they flipped over the other way 
and they're all scared about eating meat to idols, or maybe they just don't like the, the remembrance of it. Okay, that's fine. But the point here, we're not going to get into whether it is or isn't. We're going to go with the common thing, and that is we are to live by our conscience because we're free to eat whatever we can, what is ever put before us. Now, it's important to acknowledge that nowhere in Scripture are we also told to read other people's minds. We're not accountable for their minds. We're not the judges of other people's minds and their hearts. We are to live as best we can to our own conscience, being trained by Scripture. Now, Kistemaker also mentions that the average Gentile in town didn't really have an issue with this simply because most of the meat in the city was not offered to idols anyway, okay? It was more likely that the issue of checking for idol meat, if you will, was coming up due to converted Jews that were within the church. Proselytes, or not, well, you can call them proselytes into the Christian faith, if you will, um, and now they were not really educated on their Christian liberties, we don't know. That's another debate. Um, another key principle here is that the believers are to avoid legalism. If their conscience is pricked, what we should do at that point is actually check it out according to Scripture. What should we be doing? Instead of going to the other extreme and say, oh, no, I can't do this, I can't do that, now I have to, yada, yada. And you get into your own form of legalism, and that also is an error. We're to avoid getting into legalism even as a result of surrendering our freedoms. We can go, the devil can take us all sorts of places with this, right? We are to, again, go back to Scripture. Now, to avoid legalism, it's important to nurture our own conscience and keep it trained in the truth, as we can see from Paul when he spoke in 2 Corinthians 10, another book further, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whether your obedi whenever your obedience is complete. So Paul here was helping them learn what was important, Paul in sharing the gospel and, and confronting people with the error of their fallen ways and trying to bring converts. He was objecting to their vain philosophies and bringing them back to the truth of Scripture. That's just something we should be doing every day ourselves, right? Romans 12, and we do not... And we, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, that is to discern or approve, what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The sharper and clearer our conscience is, the better we can function in our own freedoms. And in our own minds, being clear on truth, then we'll be better able to assist other believers who are coming to understand those freedoms from Scripture. And hopefully, as Paul was encouraging them to, they'll come to a complete obedience in what that freedom is. Now, in verse 36, it says, For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Now, Paul supports his idea here of pressing on in our own conscience from the bigger picture. All right? That we can get all muddled up in the details, but he's reminding us that, you know, 
everything belongs to the Lord, the cattle on a thousand hills, if you will, everything belongs to the Lord. It was the Lord's before it was offered to an idol. It's the Lord's after it was offered to an idol. And it's, it's all the Lord's, okay? We're not to partake in that process, but we can partake in the meat. We're clear to do that. We're free to do that. Verse 26 is a direct quote of Psalm 24.1 and is often, was often quoted at prayer to mealtime, even amongst the Jews. Now, 1 Timothy 4.4-5 4 says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Wherever we may even have a little doubt, and we're just trying to learn to apply the scripture to it, take it to the Lord in prayer. Again, obey your conscience. That's what you'll be held accountable to. And if the Lord can give you that peace through the word of God as to what's allowed, what's permissible, and it's not offending another person, you're free. It might have been through all this different ritual stuff, but it's okay. It's the Lord still. Now, having recognized the limits of our Christian liberties and redirecting them to the greater good of others and reaffirming our confidence in their basis, our next guideline is that we continue to use these liberties as a matter of course. In verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Being invited here is to someone's home. It's not to the temple, okay? That's already been clearly established. We should not be a part of that. So if someone is inviting you to their home and you want to go, then go and don't ask, right? Paul's uh, saying that don't enslave yourself to new issues. Don't be running guilt trips all over yourself because there might be something wrong here. Might be somebody thinking that it's going to, maybe they're going to trap you. Press on. As that happens, you take care of it and respond in the right way. Within your own freedoms, what you don't know won't convict you. Okay? But if there is conviction, what are you supposed to do about it? Eat it. Okay? Our fifth guideline then comes that we should be ready to yield Christian liberties for the sake of another's conscience. And here's where Paul takes his example in verse 28 and says, But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience's sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. I'm glad he put that in there, okay? Make it clear. All right, you came in with a clear conscience. You accepted the invitation. You wanted to go. You wanted to enjoy the friendship or the opportunity to witness and share the gospel. But if it, somebody brings it up and says, oh, by the way, that meat you're eating is sacrificed to idols, what's that tell you about the person that brought that up? It's either a trap <laughs> or... You know, there's something that's not settled in their own conscience and they're not ready to see you really partake. They want to see what you're going to do. Okay? What does Paul tell us to do? Don't eat it. There's your opportunity now to witness. Now, when we roll over our freedoms, it does not mean we abrogate our responsibility to share the gospel and correct the truth. We can still tell people, well, as a believer, I am still free to eat this, but I won't. 
You know, you could say it. Now, there's better, more tactful ways to say that, right? <laughs> but the point is we're not to give up the opportunity and the responsibility to still share the truth. We need to find the right way, the right timing to do that. But at this point, Paul says, don't eat. Somebody's conscience is pricked, and it may not be just that person that brought it up. It might be they're bringing it up because they know someone else in the room is going to be offended. Okay? There's also some debate on what the other man is here, whether a believer or an unbeliever. Kistemaker says it's an unbeliever. MacArthur says it's a believer. Again, we're, not, we're going to skip the debate, okay? And we'll go straight to what some of the practical insight is. MacArthur recommends that when it comes between a believer and an unbeliever, where someone is going to be offended, the stronger believer's priority is to protect the conscience of the weaker believer over the unbeliever. Now, this makes sense. If we think about it for a moment, the gospel is offensive to the unbeliever. They don't have a re renewed heart. They don't have a conscience that's been cleansed by the Lord. Um, you know, it's pearls before swine if the Spirit is not already working on them. So protect the young believer's heart. If you have to make a choice, that's where to go, in his opinion. Right? He says that our freedom in Christ is a privilege to be forfeited only when it clearly may offend another person. Otherwise, you are free to partake or not partake in something as you wish. Paul also echoes this in Galatians chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. I'm sure most of us can identify with some form of legalism in our past or some enslavement to a false idea. We all started as unbelievers somewhere. And we can get accustomed to or too familiar with our freedom that we've forgotten that, which can be a trap to us falling into it again. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not go back to slavery. Now, while exercising our freedoms and surrendering them for others' conscience' sake, we're still to teach the Scripture, as I mentioned. In verse 29b and 30, Paul asks a couple of rhetorical questions to highlight his point here. He says, For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Now, Paul is asking this question to raise the, the, the awareness in the reader, the listener, that yes, I'm aware that there seems to be a conflict here, but he is not changing his course. He is not changing his convictions. We have liberties. We are to use them. Yes, there will be conflicts, and here's how to respond to it. Yes, I'm going to be wrongly accused, or I'm going to be judged by another person. That's, that's inevitable. <laughs> it's going to happen. Okay. Again, that's not for you to sort out at that time, right? So he's saying here, weaker brothers or even Gentiles might find some of these liberties offensive and come attack us or, or talk behind our backs or whatever, but he's saying that we have to stick to what is true. And so he charges ahead here from, with four ways to apply our Christian liberties. Number one is that we're to seek always to serve the glory of God. Verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now he, again, ignores the further debate of how other people might think. He's not going to dive into that mess. 
right? And he nails the highest purpose that we possibly can have to guide us in what we do to surrender and use our Christian liberties for the glory of God. And that is we do it all to the glory of God. <clears throat> and he means everything. Notice he points out whether you eat or drink. Is that a rare thing that you do? <laughs> probably not, right? That's an everyday thing. So that's probably includes, and I believe it does, that it includes like cooking and washing dishes and driving cars and raking leaves and taking out the trash and everything else that could be mundane and normal in your day-to-day activities. Do it all to the glory of God. One thing that can come to mind is, am I out there raking leaves while I'm grumbling? Hmm, that's probably not a good thing, right? You see the point. All things to the glory of God. And here the word all is just the plain vanilla word all in the Greek. It can mean generally or not specifically but because of the context and the target of obedience to the glory of God, we can be safe in understanding that when we do all things to the glory of God, it means all things, each and every, without exception. Paul's already reminded us of this in 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. As a believer, you don't belong to you anymore, nor to the devil for that purpose. So by seeking to always serve the glory of God with our liberties, and we must then give, not give any offense to others in the process. Verse 32, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Now there's three groups of people here that encompasses all of humanity, right? Jews and Gentiles, that already means everybody, but he also points out the church of God. But Peter, I think, summed it up even better in 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 through 19. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may become as your good deeds, that they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves, therefore, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether as to a king, as the one in authority or to governors who are set by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedoms as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable." For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience? But when you do it for what is right and suffer for it patiently, endure it. This finds favor with God. In Romans 9.33, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, stumbling block, and a rock of offense. That's the gospel. Right? And he who, but he who believes in him will not be disappointed means that everybody that doesn't believe will be and that they will be offended. 1 Peter 2.8 says the same, uh, that, that stumbling block there is for a judgment. So <clears throat> seeking to always serve the 
glory of God first with our Christian liberties and not give offense to anybody else. We are then to seek to submit Christian liberties towards leading others to Christ. Verse 33, just as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. Paul lived in Corinth for 18 months. And as he has stated in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 23, which Joshua shared with us, to the Jew I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law through though not being myself under the law so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the laws, without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Now Paul was not saying, I go sin like a sinner, so that a sinner might understand the things of God, right? We've already covered that. But he has in every way that he can respectfully surrendering what his freedoms are to better benefit the sharing of the gospel. And finally, we are to seek to imitate the best examples of surrendering Christian benefits, which takes us to our, our last couple of verses, our last verse here, 11 verse 1. Be imitators of me, just as I am also of Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ was Paul's mentor and model as he should be for us as well. The Christ is our extreme example. Now, Philippians 2, 7 through 8, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So Christ here is our premier example of having total freedom and surrendering it all for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus did the same here in John 5.30. I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 8.28, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Now, if we were to ask ourselves, can I really say to others, imitate me? Are we living the kind of example that says, do as I do as well as what I say? That's, that's just the simple practical outshot of that, right? Jesus could say that, you know, Paul, after he got converted, sought in every way to do that. He said in Acts twenty four sixteen, I maintain always, I aim to always maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men. So these are our first four examples. We have a few others that are in addition. I'll just cover them briefly here. Christians are to enjoy their liberties in Christ with a clear conscience. And we mentioned, if your conscience isn't clear about it, don't do it. It's, that's something you will answer to God for. But we are to enjoy what Scripture teaches us as our freedoms. Not viewing our Christian liberties as a right to be held can keep us focused on the Lord's higher purposes of redemption and our eternal future. It keeps us looking forward. When we're doing all things to the glory of God, we're not focusing on ourselves when we do that. 
And that keeps us mindful of what's ahead. Surrendering a Christian liberty is not to become a grudge. We're not to say, oh, I gave up my ministry today. I gave up my freedom in Christ. That's grumbling. <laughs> Don't do that, right? Sometimes we can, though. We can, we can take that, that uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for, that uh, inconvenience, and we can grumble about it. That's not right either, right? The best way to be sensitive to not offending another's conscience is to cultivate your own clear conscience. This takes work. There are people you've offended. Have you gone back and asked their forgiveness? Are there people you've cheated? Have you made restitution? Are there omissions that you need to settle? Are there conversations that you've not had? Clear it up. Take care of it. You'll be better for it. Um, and then given a choice to avoid offending a believer's versus a non-believer's conscience, as I've already mentioned, it's better to support the weak Christian. We are to use our Christian liberty, but don't demand them. Hold them loosely to be deferred for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, these are challenging words, and um, we can only do this by your grace and our keeping mindful of just what an awesome gift you've given us in our freedom and our redemption. May we do all things now to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.